It's Wednesday, February 16th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Charlie Travers, from income investor James Early, and from million dollar portfolio Ron Gross. Guys, good to see you. Good to hey, see you, Chris. Chris. We've got bad news for Borders and Exxon, good news for Dell, but we're going to start today with the big macro. The producer price index in January rose to its highest rate in more than two years. Now, Ron, this is the index that measures how much manufacturers and wholesalers pay for goods and materials. Is this a sign of inflation to come? When I saw the headline, I said, hmm, because the core part of this index, where you strip out food and energy, Mm -hmm. looked to be uh, rising at a a pretty significant rate, uh, certainly higher than we've seen it in a long time. As we know... um, Energy and food have been rising, but so you strip that out, it still looked uh, pretty. Let's use the word bad. Uh, that inflation uh, may be rearing its ugly head. If you look a little uh, below the surface, you see that 40% of the increase were were due to just one particular sector, that being pharmaceuticals, specifically pharmaceutical preparation. And it's believed that perhaps this is a, a one-month blip, and next month we'll see it go back down to normal. So maybe um, inflation isn't starting to bleed into other parts of our economy, but I, I think that's inevitable. So we're just going to have to keep an eye on this. But if I'm Ben Bernanke and I wake up and I see this headline, I'm not happy, am I? The headline, no. But as I, <laughs> same with me. But I think once you read down into, into the whys and, and the, the what fors, it's, it's maybe not so bad. Just as an investor, how much does inflation play a role in your decision to buy or sell a stock? How much do you factor this kind of thing in? So it's really a more general question of do you, how much do you factor in macroeconomics to your investment theses, and that's always hard to do. I always find that difficult to do, because economists can't even predict the economy. Um, so, so how am I supposed to do it accurately? Uh, having said that, I think it's a reasonable, fair assumption that inflation is probably going to grow from where it is now. Interest rates are going to go higher from where they are now, and there are certain things you can do to position a portfolio for those types of events. Uh, commodities, energy. Um, some people like gold, although I stay away. Um, so there are things you can do. James? Yeah, to Ron's point, it's a very complicated uh, question. It's not a reason not to worry about it, but different hey, stocks... I'm, I'm not up here just throwing softballs <laughs> at you guys, all right? Different securities are going to react differently. Obviously, a, a bond is going to behave one way. Stock and other stocks generally have pricing power, especially like Ron brought up pharmaceuticals. Who's going to stop taking their heart medicine if the price goes up 40%, right. Right, maybe a real cheapskate, but you know, you're going to see other things go first and, 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 and things like heart medicine or, or Viagra maybe later on, um, depending on the person. But uh, it's really a matter of, of which stocks are you in. I think you, know, you have to really pick your battles uh, precisely. I wouldn't be surprised to see everything take a bit of a hit. But if you're in commodities, if you're in, in, in branded products like Kellogg's or, or, or whatnot, they can uh, raise prices faster than, than many other companies. That's better. Borders filed for bankruptcy protection this morning and said it will close about 30% of its stores nationwide in the coming weeks. Uh, Charlie Travers, I knew things were bad for Borders when last week I got an email from them offering to sell me discount wine. Like not, hey, buy some books and some music and oh, by the way, we have wine too. No, it was just an email from Borders saying, hey, we've got discount wine. Did you buy the wine? I did. Was, it in, was it wine in a box or was it an actual bottle? Uh, it looked to be in actual bottles, but I thought, wow, if Borders is going the discount wine route, maybe maybe they're going off the rails. Yeah, they might be uh, following Cost Plus World Market down the tubes here. Um, so. 
Borders is the second largest book retailer in the country. And, you know, that they just filed Chapter 11 isn't really a surprise. You know, 10 years ago, everybody was saying e-commerce was going to eventually put the big hurt on bricks and mortar retailers. And we're seeing that come to pass in this specific situation, among some others. Um, So what exactly is happening is that the company is closing 200 of its stores, which is a massive 30% of their store base. And this is going to leave Borders with less than half of the locations that it had just five years ago. Um, So this is a company that's been in trouble for quite a while. The stock has been in a four-year slide, basically all the way down to zero. And I would certainly not recommend any of our listeners buy the dip here. Is it really a good reason to ever to go into a Borders these days, except to use the bathroom? I mean, you can buy everything from <laughs> That's Amazon, why you're going right? into Borders? That's why I go. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, some people do actually like to browse through the books. I, I kind of want to walk around the mall. Don't mind going into the store and peeking through the books. But then what's going to happen is I'm going to go home and buy it at Amazon, where the book is far cheaper. Yeah. So I just don't see how Borders uh, competes not just with Amazon, which truly ate their lunch, but also with Barnes & Noble. Um, Barnes & Noble's not doing that hot in its own right, but it is a better run business than Borders. So we've seen this play out before where an online business takes out a bricks and mortar competitor. We saw this last year with Netflix um, and the success that that service has had uh, lead, among other things, to Blockbuster filing for bankruptcy. So between Borders and Blockbuster, which one do you think has a more promising future? Uh, It's like you're asking me to choose between death by lethal injection or firing squad. I don't really see a good (laughs) option here. And uh, I think Borders is probably, you know, maybe they still have a chance versus Blockbuster, but I am certainly not optimistic. James? I think the same as Charlie. I was thinking maybe should I have my upper teeth pulled or my lower teeth pulled? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I would go with Borders too. Ron? I I think the boys have it exactly right. They're both horrible choices, but I'll go with Borders if I had to choose. Sorry, Blockbuster. Drop us an email, radio at fool.com, and you can complain there. ExxonMobil has a small problem. The company is struggling to find more oil. Uh, James, I would think that the largest publicly traded oil company in the world would uh, would be pretty good at finding oil. What's going on Well, here? everybody's having a hard time finding oil. The, the, the story in the Wall Street Journal today is that Exxon had a 95% reserve replacement ratio over the past decade, mean, meaning for every uh, you know barrel it's produced, it's only found or secured new oil of, of 0.95 of a barrel, which is actually not that bad. But I would say the bigger news is Exxon's statement that it has more gas reserves now, natural gas reserves, than oil reserves, because that opens the door to the real story here, which, yes, is that oil is harder to come by, whereas gas is relatively abundant. So what I predict is that over the next 15 years, we're going to see an energy battle royal with technology enabling us to to better reach hard to access oil. Because for for 20 years now, people have been saying oil is going to go bust, but we just keep finding more somehow. Uh, We're going to see more shift to gas, natural gas instead of oil. And we're also going to see possibly more electric cars and alternative fuels in in urban areas. But nobody knows who's going to win this battle. I will say that I would not bet against the oil companies because they not only control oil, but but also uh, natural gas, which is sort of a byproduct. Charlie? That is interesting to see Exxon shift into natural gas because a lot of the domestic E&Ps, uh, they tend to have a mix of natural gas and oil businesses. And over the past couple of years, they haven't really been that thrilled with uh, where natural gas is going. And they are shifting their investment towards domestic oil. And so Exxon now getting this big push in the gas seems to be bucking the trend. It's weird. And yeah, E&P being exploration and production company. Uh, yeah, they're, they're doing different things. We have a surplus of gas in this country now. It's, there, there's not enough 
uh, storage uh, for all right. the gas, actually. Um, but I think I think Exxon, the big companies, are betting long, long term. They have big balance sheets, and, and they're betting more on on some sort of a seismic shift to gas as as a fuel, whereas maybe the NPs don't have the balance sheets to last as long. Right. But if you're an Exxon Mobil shareholder, aren't you a little nervous about this direction? Because well, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, oil's more profitable for the company than natural gas. True, but but who else are you going to buy energy from? I mean. They're kind of, you know, the big oil companies are, are, are the big game in town for, for whatever transportation fuel we, we, we use. So I'm not too worried. Shares of Dell up big today on heavy trading volume. Fourth quarter profits were much higher than expected. Ron, how's Dell getting it As done? A Dell shareholder since 2005. <laughs> Today's a good day for me, I will tell you that. Um, Drinks on Ron. <laughs> exactly. Dell has uh, been reinventing itself, actually. Uh, Moving away from that old uh, Dell company that we we used to know and love, where everyone w- would get their Dell for for their home desktop. I wish they'd um, my laptop. And, <laughs> and and they're really um, they're focusing on the corporate customer um, for um, the the machines on everyone's desk, and that was actually a big part of the success of this last quarter. But um, perhaps more importantly, through acquisitions and, and strategic directioning. They're turning themselves into a server-based company, a data center company, a company focused on cloud computing, um, and they're really trying to re- rework themselves. And, and at least for now, this was a, a good start. Gross margins, uh, margins in general, were, were pretty strong, and that's really what Wall Street was waiting to see. Uh, on the conference call, uh, Michael Dell, the CEO, uh, basically cast his company in terms of, you know, this this past year or so has been about essentially getting our company organizationally fit, and this next year or two is going to be about how much we can leverage what we've done so far uh, into greater growth, greater success. What does the, the future of Dell over the next couple of years look like to you I, as a shareholder? I think they're focused on the right areas, um, being the, the server business and the cloud computing business, but there's some fierce competition there, let's not forget, whether it be HP or, or IBM. Um, and, and many other companies that are, are focused on that space. So I, as a shareholder, I'm actually not convinced that they're going to get this done. Um, they're going in the right direction, at least. Charlie? Isn't that kind of shocking to hear Dell, of all companies, which is like the MBA you know, case study for organizational efficiency, talking about having to get fit and improve its operations? Yeah, I mean, they, they clearly stumbled uh, and gotten gotten their lunch, I mean, yeah, had their lunch the eaten. Changed, In the right. 90s, I remember reading that Dell owned each computer chip for like three hours, and they'd ship it out the door after that. Right. It was so so efficient. And finally, guys, tonight is the final night of the Big Jeopardy showdown. Uh, if you've been watching the last couple of nights, Watson, the IBM computer, has a huge lead with more than $35,000. Uh, amongst the humans, Brad Rutter... Uh, just over ten thousand, and Ken Jennings, uh, just under five thousand dollars. Do the humans have any chance in, in the second half here? Do they have any chance tonight at all, Ron? It, it appears not. I'm sorry to say, my I was voting uh, for Brad Reuter. Um This does not look good for the humans. I, I, w- I was wrong too. I, I thought that uh, it was going to be rigged by by Jeopardy uh, to, to have the computer win. Best because I didn't know the computer was sort of a separate IBM thing. I thought it was part of the show. I'm like, oh come on, obviously it's some narrative. But but yeah, now I'm kind of rooting for the computer actually. <laughs> oh sure, now that it has a big lead. Yeah yeah. Exactly. Now did you I root for the winner? If if you didn't see last night, um, Watson did really well, and yet somehow blew the final Jeopardy category. Um, the the category was U.S. cities, and the clue was. Its airport is named for a World War II hero. Its second largest airport is named for a World War II battle. And Watson answered, what is Toronto? 
It's like, I'm sorry, you, you <laughs> hunk of metal. It's, it's, it's U.S. cities. I mean, yeah. come on here. What, the, what are they doing over at IBM? I would say just part of the trouble of artificial intelligence uh, is relating to tasks as complex as language is just picking up on some of the nuance. But you would think U.S. would have been a clear limiter to your selection of yeah, possible cities. I don't think there's, there's much that's nuanced about U.S. No, cities, Ron. No. Well, the code for the Toronto airport is YYZ, so perhaps um, Watson is a big Rush fan. Why do you, Why you, Ron? Why do you know <laughs> do you the airport that? code for Toronto? It's a, it's a Rush song, so, you know. You oh, know okay. stuff. All right, all right. We will wrap up uh, to see if you guys are smarter than Watson when it comes to the U.S. versus Canada. Uh, those are your choices, by the way, U.S. or Canada. First question, it's the home of the Appalachian Mountains. Charlie? Erpel? Erpel. <laughs> James? U.S. U.S.? U.S. It's actually both. The Appalachian both. Mountains extends ah. up into Canada. So, the Gaspeasy Peninsula, it's called. Uh, yeah, well played. Uh, second question, the birthplace of Tommy Chong from, of course, Cheech and Chong fame. Charlie? Canada. Can- it has to be Canada. Canada. It is Canada. Yeah. Cheech Marin, of course, East, L- East L.A., but uh, Tommy Chong from Canada, born in Edmonton. And finally, its highest point is 19,550 feet. You going U.S. or Canada, Charlie? That's the U.S. Mount Logan, Canada. U.S. James Early coming oh, strong nice. to the hoop. Yes, <laughs> Mount Logan in Canada. I actually named the mountain. Uh, and and the, the highest point in the U.S.? It is Mount McKinley, 20,320 feet. Wow, that is freaky. That is freaky that you nailed that number. I scare my wife, too. Well, well done. <laughs> well, probably for other reasons. All right, Charlie Travers, James Early, Ron Gross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Damn, man. You're scary, man. You, na- you nailed it down to the exact foot. That is insane. Most of the major mountains, I can tell you. Most really? <laughs> Most of the major <laughs> mountains? Party trick. <laughs> just, I just have this memory for numbers.